liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Welcome, everybody, to a special solo episode of Liberty Lockdown. Tonight, I'm going to be covering a bunch of articles and news stories that are not getting coverage for the most part. I mean, obviously, I found them, so they exist, but they're not getting coverage in the mainstream. So almost certainly you haven't heard about most of these. And I will be in the air tomorrow headed to uh, Texas to do uh, an incredible uh, Texas Mises Caucus event with Eric July, Scott Horton, and Dave Smith. So I couldn't leave you without an episode over the weekend. So I was like, all right, Clint, get your shit together. You've been stockpiling all these articles. Read them, put it together, put an episode out, inform your audience of what the fuck's actually going on in the world. So that's what I did because I love you guys that much. So I was like, hey, get it together. We got to make this happen. So I uh, I basically broke this into two parts. Russia and Ukraine, little uh, potpourri in the middle, and then we got the... Oh, God, what was it? Oh, then COVID truth at the end, um, which I know I'm very grateful that you guys enjoyed the truth tsunami episode so much. It uh, People are sharing it like crazy, and that's awesome. Um, you know, shout out to those writers that, that put that together. I mean, Vanity Fair, God bless you guys. Really powerful stuff. And I know that for the most asleep person, if they are to listen to that episode, it can't help but make a dent. Like it's going to make a dent. Uh, so I hope you guys continue to share it. Try and wake people up. Try and let them know what actually happened to them over the past couple of years. A lot of people, even those that you wouldn't expect, are actually open to these ideas because they realize, um, yeah, they were misled a little bit. Especially the people that got, you know, three and four jabs. They're like, and then they got Omicron or whatever. They're definitely looking for some answers at this point. Not all of them. Some of them are still completely deluded and believe every lie they get told. But uh, there are more than you'd imagine. So have an open mind, have an open heart, reach out to your friends, family, whoever, let them know, you know, give them a, give them a door, let them know there's a pathway back to the land of the sane. And, uh, even though sometimes I know we all feel crazy because we, we know this stuff when no one else believed us, but whatever, welcome anyways, they called us crazy. Now welcome them back and pretend like they're not crazy. So I'm going to hop right into it with Russia and Ukraine. Shout out to Jason Booth for the very first article I'm going to go over tonight. Probably wouldn't have seen it otherwise. Uh, House Republicans push to ban Russian wood imports with, quote, no timber from tyrants, end quote, Bill. And the reason I wanted to talk about this, other than obviously it's going to impact real estate if they actually are stupid enough to do this, but also because I wanted to show, because I, I haven't shit on the Republicans in too long, and I know I'll piss off some amount of my conservative audience and I'm going to be honest with you, don't care. Uh, This is stupid, like brain dead, dangerous, stupid. And this is why the Libertarian Party has to be a legitimate vehicle, because we cannot have people this dumb in power. We are dealing with a supply chain crisis with serious inflation, housing shortages, a housing crisis, rental rate crisis, income inequality out of control, and you're going to work to ban timber the prerequisite for house for home building i mean 
the Republicans are just not bright. Not all of them, obviously, but these guys got to go. So House Republicans introduced legislation Thursday that would ban timber imports from Russia and its ally Belarus, arguing that the millions spent on forest products are fueling Russian President Vladimir Putin's war against Ukraine. Representative Bruce Westerman of Arkansas, idiot, says, quote, America should be pushing back on Putin's war of aggression from every possible angle, and there's no better way to do that than by cutting Russia's economy off at the knees, he said. Are these people ever going to discuss the economic ramifications on the American people, the actual people we represent? I'm sorry, but did they swear an oath to defend all aggression, you know, all victims of aggression across the planet. If you buy the entire narrative that Ukraine is purely a victim, what the fuck is it our duty to suffer economically for these people? Seriously, does anyone even like debate this anymore? Can we have some sort of a hearing where the congressional representatives that represent us, wink, actually have to answer to what the economic ramifications of these decisions will be? or perhaps the military ramifications if they were to actually escalate into World War III, if you were to have a no-fly zone, as Adam Kissinger has constantly pushed for for the past month. I mean, there is no debate about this stuff. It's crazy to me. They just continue to push out terrible ideas, and we get no say in it, which is why I'm an anarchist. Quote, we imported hundreds of millions of dollars worth of wood products from Russia last year alone, giving Russia the power to channel those funds directly into Putin's war. No more. The measure dovetails with President Biden's March 8th executive order barring Russian oil and gas imports. Uh, Congress followed up Thursday by voting to send a bill to Mr. Biden codifying the ban. So, yeah, it's a bipartisan problem is what I'm trying to demonstrate here. These people are on both sides of the aisle, not all of them, but the vast majority, either useful idiots or just so economically bereft. They have just no economic understanding whatsoever or they're just they do and they're caught up in virtue signaling and and that's all that matters and they will sacrifice you and your your economic health and your kids future on the altar of basically woke neoconservatism aka neo-progressivism it's crazy Next up, I'm not going to read the whole article to you, um, especially since it's too early for me to actually know the truth here. But I think it's important that you guys are at least aware that there are people reporting on this. This is dailymail.co.uk. Headline says exclusive. Hunter Biden did help secure millions in funding for U.S. contractor in Ukraine specializing in deadly pathogen research. Laptop emails reveal raising more questions about the disgraced son of then vice president. The Russian government held a press conference Thursday claiming that Hunter Biden helped finance a U.S. military bioweapons research program in Ukraine. Shout out Laura Logan for breaking that story on Liberty Lockdown. However, the allegations were branded a brazen propaganda ploy to justify President Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine and so discord in the U.S. Yes, of course, it's always misinformation unless, you know, this RCIA is saying it. But emails and correspondence obtained by DailyMail.com from Hunter's abandoned laptop show the claim may well be true. The emails show Hunter helped secure millions of dollars of funding for Metabiota, a Department of Defense contractor specializing in research on pandemic-causing diseases. He also introduced Metabiota to an allegedly corrupt Ukrainian gas firm, Burisma, which you already know he gets big money from, for a science project involving high biosecurity-level labs in Ukraine. The president's son and his colleagues invested $500,000 in Metabiota through their firm, 
Rosemont Seneca Technology Partners, which, if you recall, Laura Logan also name-dropped Rosemont Seneca. So she is all over this. They raised several million dollars of funding for the company from investment giants, including Goldman Sachs. So this is, I mean, this is what frustrates me. It's like, this is so transparent that this was a very high-level arrangement. And if you think that this crackhead Hunter Biden was responsible for managing this all himself, you're crazy. <laughs> you are so crazy if you think it begins and ends with Hunter Biden being a scumbag. Forgive me, not a chance. And if you think it ends with Joe Biden, again, extraordinarily naive. This is Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Mitt Romney, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, all of them, all of the 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 top of the top of the top of of both parties were involved in what amounted to both black ops in Ukraine with these bio lab facilities. I think they were bioweapons facilities. That's just my opinion. I don't know for sure, wink, but I think I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, and and money laundering for their campaigns or whatever, whatever, whatever kickbacks that that. The big guy got, I don't know if anyone's heard about that, but it's, it's rumored that, or not rumored, it's known that there were text messages from Hunter to a bunch of his business partners saying, make sure we got the 10% in there for the big guy. And the big guy he referred to in different texts was Joe Biden. So if there's smoke, there's fire, usually. I can't believe that they were this sloppy, uh, but I guess the one upside of believing that the media has your back, no matter what, is that you get lazy. And I honestly think that's what happened. These people thought that they were beyond reproach. And it turns out they might not be. Now, nothing's been done yet to actually punish them for what they've done. But if the rumors are true that they are working on some sort of uh, criminal charges against Hunter, well, I don't think Hunter would flip. I don't even think that they would ne necessarily prosecute him to the full extent of the law because that would be... That would be a white pill if that actually happened. But if they actually go through discovery and they get to really dive deep on all this, you never know. You never know. Some other people might get sunk. Let's hope. I'm going to stay optimistic today, even though it's unlikely. It might happen. You don't know. You don't know. It could happen. This one's pretty mind-blowing. So you got three U.S. officials tell NBC News that U.S. claims based on, quote, intelligence on Russia were made up simply to preempt the Russians. One U.S. official says, quote, it doesn't have to be solid intelligence when we talk about it. Let's listen. The U.S. using intelligence to fight an information war and doing it to Russia for months now, and it's working. NBC News national security correspondent Ken Delaney in live in Washington. Uh, Ken, I want to start uh, by giving people an example of what this is so they know what we're talking about. Take a look. They're also suggesting that Ukraine has biological and chemical weapons in Ukraine. That's a clear sign he's considering using both of those. Can, can you explain to our viewers what was going on there and what NBC News has learned about that claim this week from three different U.S. officials? Yeah, that was a great example of what we're talking about. That was based on declassified intelligence. But we're also told the intelligence wasn't very clear about what exactly was going on. And they decided to, to disclose it as a way of deterring uh, Russia from doing that and putting the world on notice 
that this could happen. And that's really, that's what's going on here, the big picture. This is an unprecedented use of declassified intelligence. We've never seen this level of information warfare before from the U.S. government. Well, that, uh, it's nice that he would at least admit that this is, uh, you know, precedent setting, that they are actually breaking with historical precedent. And I'd like to point out that not that long ago, they removed the the laws that made it illegal for our FBI, CIA, basically our government overall to propagandize the American people. That has changed. They are now allowed to propagandize us. And I don't believe that you could have had the reaction to COVID with lockdowns, et cetera, without that law being removed. I really don't. And I think that this is the next level of it on a war footing with a nuclear power, lying to the American people about what this enemy nation quote unquote, is is potentially going to do. They don't have any evidence of this stuff, basically. That's basically what he's saying. It was very unclear, which is another way of saying, we didn't have shit. We made it up. We made it up because, oh, oh, we wanted to deter Russia from using chemical weapons. How about, no. How about you made it up because you wanted to try and foment enough anger amongst the American people that they might be stupid enough to support war with a country that has more nukes than any other nation on the planet. That seems more likely to me. Let's continue on with the clip. And what they're doing is they're trying to preempt the Russians, get ahead of Russian disinformation, even mess with Vladimir Putin's brain, as one person put it, uh, leave him off balance to try to show that the United States knows what Russia is up to and is going to get ahead of it. Um, it's. I want to point out real quick that the fact that they said they want to mess with Putin's brain, that's actually what they're trying to do with you. If that doesn't bother you, I don't know. I don't know if you're paying enough attention. It's really rather remarkable. Another example was when they announced that Russia had gone to China uh, to ask for help with what with getting some weapons. That hasn't come to pass yet. And it was almost a way of putting China on notice. Hey, we know what's going on here. Don't let this happen. So so they had no information demonstrating that China was actually going to provide weapons. They just declared it as a quote-unquote warning. So they declared it as if it was happening when it wasn't as a warning to China. Or is it the Republicans throwing their hat in the ring in the propaganda race to try and build up more animosity from the American people towards the Chinese? And the Democrats, for that matter. I'm sure they're not averse to it. These people are sick. What they're doing to us is criminal. So really interesting and unprecedented yeah. use of intelligence here, Alice. Yeah, and Ken, as you just said, not just intelligence here, unprecedented use. One U.S. official telling you it doesn't even have to be solid intelligence when we talk about it. It's more important to get out ahead of them. Putin specifically, before they do something, it's preventative. So it doesn't doesn't have to be solid intelligence when we talk about it. It's more important to get out ahead of them. Before they do something, it's preventative. I'm sorry, but I don't buy it for a second. I don't. We already had the fake-ass gas attacks. I think it was in Duma in Syria when they blamed it on Assad. Demonstrably false. Demonstrably false. You can research it. I'm not going to bother to prove it to you right now, but just take my word for it if you don't want to research it on your own. They lied. And if you recall... Barack Obama was pushing heavily for us to go to war in Syria against Assad based off of this outright lie 
that he had used chemical weapons on his own people. It did not happen. Did not happen. So now they are telling you almost in real time. I mean, this is like a month later that, yeah, we're just making shit up as we go. Is that okay with you? Are you okay living in a country where your government lies to you overtly and then tells you about it? Like, well, we're trying to deter Putin. I don't buy it. Not for a second. They are trying to piss you off to get you to support really dangerous, stupid stuff. It needs to be recriminalized immediately. I'm not even going to read this article to you because I think this is actually evidence of the fake intel stuff that they're using to propagandize you. But I just wanted to point it out as a potential example of what I'm talking about. This is from the times.co.uk says China accused of hacking Ukraine days before Russian invasion. Ukrainian intelligence suggests Beijing is complicit in Putin's war. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible, but if you're trying to foment World War III against Russia and China, which, by the way, is the dumbest fucking thing you could ever do. Ever. They have nukes. They have combined. They have like five times our, our population. Combined, they probably have a very comparable military. This is insane. And they're just going to throw it out there. Ukraine, this corrupt government that the New York Times and everybody else told you up until about six months ago was a tremendously corrupt government. And now we reported this fact. We reported this fact that China was accused of hacking Ukraine days before Russian invasion. I don't buy it. Okay. And if you don't approach all of these stories with tremendous skepticism, you haven't learned anything from WMDs, Iraq, Afghanistan, none of it. Vietnam, none of it. You got to be woke on this shit. Sorry, you do. You got to be really, really skeptical. And it's not my fault. I wasn't a big conspiracy theorist until y'all overtly lied to me and bragged about it. And you do that all the time now. So, yeah, I don't believe you anymore. Sorry. Next up, we have a horrifying article from The Guardian. Ugh. So sad that Glenn Greenwald used to work for these scumbags. Title is, The Western Elite is Preventing Us from Going After the Assets of Russia's Hyper-Rich by Thomas Piketty. A total, total psychopath. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. You can check it out if you want to. But he says, the Ukrainian crisis has revived an old debate. How to effectively sanction a state like Russia? Let's say it straight away. It is time to imagine a new type of sanction focused on the oligarchs who have prospered thanks to the regime in question. I'll continue on with this article, but just let me point out real quick how insanely dangerous it is to empower your government to go after whoever they declare as being connected to the the government in question. I mean, they label them oligarchs, but you could label any of our billionaires as oligarchs too. They all get largesse from the government. They're all putting off of your tax dollars. Do you want China to be able to come in and just say, yeah, well... Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and all you guys, any of your assets that we can get our hands on, we're just going to seize it. Is that is that a world you want to live in? Now, now, what if they go from Elon Musk to you? <laughs> they just label you and they freeze your assets. Is that okay? Or would you want to go to war? It's not, it's not a good way to live. It's not a good way to function. It's not a peaceful way to function to basically legalize mass theft without trial 
which is what this fucking lunatic is advocating for. He goes on to say, this will require the establishment of an international financial register. Awesome. Big brother at work. Uh, which will not be to the liking of Western fortunes or to Clint's fortunes or to any libertarian's fortunes. Not even fortune, but just our preference. Whose interests are much more closely linked to those of the Russian and Chinese oligarchs than is sometimes claimed. However, it is at this price that Western countries will succeed in winning the political and moral battle against the autocracies and in de demonstrating to the world that the resounding speeches on democracy and justice are not simply empty words. Yes, because the hallmark of democracy is that your government is able to steal whatever money from anywhere, anyone on the face of the earth. I mean, that's probably a pretty accurate definition of democracy in reality, but that's not exactly how they market it, is it? Let's wrap this up. Let us first recall that the freezing of assets held by Putin and his relatives is already part of the arsenal of sanctions that has been tried for several years. Yeah, probably shouldn't be doing that. The problem is that the freezes applied so far remain largely symbolic. They only concern a few dozen people and can be circumvented by using nominees, especially as nothing has been done to systematically measure and cross-reference the real estate and financial portfolios held by each of them. So this is just like panopticon shit. They want to have all assets be monitored. And guess what that actually amounts to? How do you think they're going to actually implement this? CBDCs. That's the only way. That's the only way they can know every single transaction you're making, which is why they so desperately want to get away from paper fiat. And that's the primary reason I wanted to bring up this article because lunatics like this aren't going to stop. We have to stop them. The answer is no. The answer is no. And just as a reminder that we do not have the moral high ground anymore if we ever had it. If we ever had it. From the Wall Street Journal, U.S. sends Patriot missiles to Saudi Arabia fulfilling urgent request. The arms were transferred in past month after Saudi military sought new supply to repel drone missile attacks by Iran-backed Houthi rebels. Where are those Houthi rebels? Yemen. If I had to guess, that's what they actually mean. Now I had to pay for the article to actually read it, so I can't. But <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, it's not okay. It's not okay for us to sit up on some moral high horse telling the world what they can or can't do while well, we are actively funding a genocide in Yemen. It's a proxy war, basically, but Saudi Arabia is the one that's implementing it, and we are funding it. And I think that the reason we're doing it is to back the petrodollar, uh, but it's not okay. It's the poorest country in the Middle East, Yemen. And they've had, I think, hundreds of thousands of kids that have starved to death or died of dehydration because they can't get clean water because the Saudis bomb their supply lines. You good with that? I'm not. I'm not good with allowing a government like this to rule over me, much less the entire world. And that's what they're trying to do with this Russia-Ukraine bullshit. So fix your own house first. Is that so much to ask? If we're going to talk about humanitarian aid and, and being you know, a defender of democracy or the little guy or whatever the fuck bullshit they're trying to tell you, is it okay if they do that while well, simultaneously funding a genocide in Yemen? Because the hypocrisy injures my soul. How about you? This was an absolutely fascinating Substack piece by Barry Weiss, who I am not a fan of. But she nailed it with this. Titled, The Takeover of America's Legal System. 
the kids didn't grow out of it subtitle it's very long so i'm not going to read you the whole thing but i highlighted just a few paragraphs so you can get the gist of it but that's not how the new associates saw uh i always forget how to pronounce this dude's name boyes boyes's choice to represent weinstein so this is in reference to harvey weinstein who sexual predator all that uh, they thought they were certain people you just did not represent. People so hateful and reprehensible that helping them made you complicit. The partners, the old timers, pretty much everyone over 50 found this unbelievable. That wasn't the law as they had known it. That wasn't America. So this is in the context of this, because I hopped in the middle of it, because I'm trying to keep this short, uh, is that the new lawyers that are coming in are standing up and demanding that they don't defend the obviously guilty as if that's not a prerequisite for any functioning legal system, that everyone gets defense. Crazy. Continuing on, quote, the idea that guilty people shouldn't get lawyers attacks the legal system at its root. Well, exactly. Uh, Andrew Koppelman, a prominent, prominent liberal scholar of constitutional law at Northwestern University, said, quote, people will ask, how can you represent someone who's guilty? <laughs> the answer is that a society where accused people don't get a defense, as a matter of course, is a, is a society you don't want to live in. It's a totalitarian nightmare, end quote. Operating in a panopticon. Hey, this is my favorite word. The adversarial legal system in which both sides of a dispute are represented vigorously by attorneys with a vested interest in winning is at the heart of the American constitutional order. Since time immemorial, law schools have tried to prepare their students to take part in that system. Not so much anymore. Now the politicization, politicization and tribalism of campus life has crowded out old-fashioned expectations about justice and neutrality. The imperatives of race, gender, and identity are more important to more and more law students than due process. The presumption of innocence and all the norms and values at the foundation of what we think of as the rule of law. This is why I'm so appreciative of James Lindsay. The fact that he demonstrated how incredibly dangerous critical race theory and all of its spinoffs are have become to our way of life. This is yet another example and arguably the most dangerous example I have ever even considered to have lawyers coming up that will eventually be power broker lawyers at the very highest echelons of the legal system. We had a Supreme court justice uh, confirmed today that has some of some of the hallmarks of this kind of ideology it's not nearly as bad as it could be but imagine a supreme court justice nominee 25 years from now how fucking insane that person will probably be because of stuff like this this has to be fought so fiercely i can't even overemphasize it like it just cannot happen we cannot have people that do not believe in due process that are functioning as lawyers in this country. That that is genuinely this no no hyperbole from Barry here that that is how you end up in a totalitarian nightmare. If you have a criminal justice system that doesn't believe in defense of the potentially guilty, the assumption that they are just definitively guilty. It has to be proven in a court of law. Is this controversial? Jesus. Hey, this is Isaac Morehouse here, the CEO of Crash.co. If you're listening to Liberty Lockdown, congratulations. You're fucking awake. That's good. <laughs> I love it. That also means you're the type of person that cares about autonomy and freedom. And freedom is not just an abstract philosophical concept. It's not just some political theory. Freedom is how you actually live and engage with the world on a day-to-day -day basis. When the rubber meets the road, are you freer today 
than you were yesterday. Now, there's a lot of stuff that's outside of your control. There's a lot of aspects of freedom you can't control. But one that you can control is your career. Your career, if you're on the job hunt actively, or if you're just looking for how to parlay your skills into more opportunities to be an entrepreneur, to work for a, a great startup, whatever it might be, go to crash.co, sign up for free to the daily job hunt newsletter. You get absolutely awesome information and inspiration in your inbox every day and a bunch of free member benefits. You get access to career guides, a custom video pitch builder to showcase your skills, and a lot more. Go to crash.co, check it out, sign up for free, and keep listening to Liberty Lockdown. This is an absolutely insane article from WAPO, the Washington Post, titled, Laws Targeting Transgender Youths Lean on Myths About White Childhood Innocence. This explains how. Let me just start off by saying how tremendously reprehensible it is to talk about white childhood. Like, if you were to just write stories about black childhood and how it's a myth that they have some years of innocence, what the fuck are you even talking about? Really just sick people. I'm going to skip most of it because it's all garbage, but... As with the bathroom bills that came earlier, those who promote this wave of bans are portraying white girls and women as uniquely vulnerable and in need of protection. These are familiar tactics. Historian Robin Bernstein's 2011 book, Racial Innocence, traced how political figures have used white to represent childhood innocence and vulnerability that has to be protected from various threats. In this way, they can promote political agendas and self-evident and natural such a... Oh, as self-evident and natural, such as keeping transgender youths out of social and athletic spaces. Or maybe it's just that we don't want dudes smoking girls in the pool. Is it really about just defending biologically born white women? No. Because there's other swimmers that aren't all white. This is about defending women, actually. But that's how far down the slippery slope we are. These constructions of childhood innocence as implicitly white and female are propped up by contrasting myths about black boys as inherently violent. Sociologist Ann Arnett Ferguson's research into public school systems shows how black youths, especially black boys, are disproportionately punished, which reinforces the image of black masculinity as naturally threatening. Well, whether or not they're disproportionately punished, which I think is plausible, but I don't know it for a fact, uh, there is obviously economic factors that go into this. Obviously. Now, if you want to deal with the root issues of that, you could look at the fact that all of those cities with the most crime amongst the black community are Democrat-ran and ask yourself, perhaps your entire prescription for remedying this is fatally flawed. But you won't do that. No. Why would you? When you could just blame it on white women, apparently. If white girls are innocent, uniquely vulnerable, and in need of protection from implicitly and explicitly racialized threats embodied by black boys, then they are especially in need of protection from, in the newest version, black trans girls. Proponents of bans on transgender athletes regularly mention and consistently misgender Andrea Yearwood and Terry Miller, arguing that they are dangerous to girls' sports, as my forthcoming research examines in more detail. A significant number of comments on YouTube videos of the two high school track runners justify excluding Yearwood and Miller from competition by arguing that they are biologically male and thus possess an unfair biological advantage. They then compare Yearwood and Miller to elite athletes such as Mike Tyson, for instance. One representative comment satirically states, breaking news, Mike Tyson comes out as female. Now he is competing on a female boxing tournament. Me, wow, that, what a massacre. 
The repeated references to Tyson with his fraught history of violence against women draw on very old and dangerous stereotypes of black boys and men. I love that. I love that you would you would try and make that the angle that they were taking on it instead of just bringing up the most well-known brutal boxer in the past 30 years. No, no, no. It's because of his criminal history, which, by the way, I think he was innocent of, if it matters. Uh, so, yeah. Again. This is such a stretch. And this entire this entire perspective on life is so cancerous. It's so toxic. It's so biased. They can't even begin to see reality because everywhere they look is racism. That's what they seek to find. That is what they find. And guess what? If that's all you see, you're going to you're going to start to be become a pretty racist person yourself and that's what you're actually witnessing with how they talk about white people. And this is why I have fought this entire ideology for the past couple of years so so severely, you know, so seriously is that I don't want to live in a world like this. I don't want to live in a world where we categorize people's grievances based off their skin tone. I think it's not a healthy way to live. And I think it's not a way to establish or perpetuate any semblance of a functioning society. This is the end game. You cannot have this persist and expect society not to just completely disintegrate in front of your eyes. So I would strongly consider you to check out this piece if you want to lose your mind uh, or don't. Just take my word for it. It's a nightmare. This is what critical race theory amounts to in every area, every topic. This is the type of language they use. This is the type of conclusions they come to. This is the type of the analysis that they deliver. It's always insane. Always. Because it's evil. So there you have it. Let's keep it light with a little 10-second clip from our buddy Fink over at BlackRock. Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock the biggest hedge fund manager in the world. Well, behaviors are going to have to change. And this is one thing we're, going to, we're asking companies. Uh, you have to force behaviors. And at BlackRock, we are forcing behaviors. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm telling you guys, the, the, our, our greatest hope is how brazen these people are. The fact that he's willing to say something like that, so direct, not hiding it, proudly. And if you're listening right now, just take my word for it. He is sitting on a stage being interviewed by some scumbag reporter. I forget his name and some other dude sitting to the right of him. And these people are just like, yeah, we're going to tell We're going to tell you exactly what we're doing. And you are powerless to stop us. Well, guess what, Larry? We outnumber you. Good luck, homie. Good luck with that outlook on life. See if you can actually make it happen, buddy. Let's listen to it one more time. Well, behaviors are going to have to change. And this is one thing we're going to, we're asking companies. Uh, you have to force behaviors and at BlackRock, we are forcing behaviors. And just to note what he said there is that what we are telling companies at BlackRock, I want you to really pay attention to that. This is exact confirmation of what I've been telling you about BlackRock's business model is that that is what they do. ESG, environmental social governance. They are implementing those standards and demanding it of companies that they will invest in. This dude is one of the most powerful people in the world, and he is talking about forcing behavioral changes of people with his money. I'm a capitalist. This ain't that. This is dirty, corrupt, sinister shit. 
and they got to be stopped again. Sorry, I'm going to keep saying it. I know I keep saying it after every topic, but man, there's a lot of people we got to stop. Let's keep it rolling on BlackRock. We got a little report here from uh, CNBC. U.S. is now saying it will work to supply 15 billion cubic meters of liquefied natural gas, or LNG, to the European Union this year, an effort to help Europe wean off of Russian energy supplies. The EU hoping to cut its dependent on that Russian gas by two-thirds this year and end all fossil fuel imports from Russia by 2027. Let's bring in CNBC's Pippa Stevens. And Pippa, these stocks are jumping. Clearly, the market likes what it heard, especially the, the gas stocks. Yeah, what are you absolutely. hearing from the companies? Yeah, Sarah, these stocks are moving sharply higher today. We don't actually have that much information on what this deal means in actual practice on the ground. The U.S. is already sending record amounts of LNG to Europe, partially because of pricing dynamics. If you're going to get a higher price in Europe than in Asia, you're going to redirect those cargoes. And these take a long time to come online. New terminals cost billions of dollars, require extensive permits and a lot of money in capital. And so it can't just be increased on a dime. And as one industry source told me, this is less of a promise and more of an aspirational statement. But as you said, these stocks are all up a lot today. Upstream players like EQT, Coterra, Range Resources, those are the Nat Gas plays. Those are rallying. The pipeline companies, Enbridge, Williams, also up. And then finally, the LNG names themselves, like Chenier, Tellurian, Sempra. We're really seeing strength here across the board. How do we get, Pippa, more energy production in the U.S.? We're, we're already, you know, huge. But for oil and gas, which is clearly in high demand right now, is it a matter of, of more government or less government regulation from the Biden administration? Or does it have to come from shareholders who have been so tough on these companies, especially institutional investors like BlackRock, who have been pressuring companies to get away from fossil fuels and to do more on ESG and to cut their budgets? Well, that is certainly, Sarah, the question of the moment. U.S. has now. Uh, I love that. The, I mean, God bless this lady for actually bringing it up. That's powerful. I think her name's Sarah Eisen. Uh, cheers. Cheers that you would even be brave enough to answer, ask that question, because I'm sure your job is in jeopardy for doing so. I genuinely believe that. The fact that she was willing to say, well, maybe the problem is that not just the government and the regulatory environment, but also BlackRock has been working actively to break the back of domestic energy production in America. Is that an issue? Is that something that perhaps the American people ought to know about, given that it changes their economic lives dramatically? Yeah, I would think so. I would think that's something that we should be talking about and debating whether or not we want that to continue, because I certainly don't. This is an incredible piece by my guy, Jeffrey Tucker over at Brownstone Institute. I'm going to just read a, a snippet of it, but you really ought to go over and read the whole thing. It's called An Inside Look at the Lockdown Orders from March 2020. Go check it out. There were two critical turning points so far as the public knows. The first was on March 12th when Trump gave an evening speech that ended in an announcing, ended in announcing a travel ban from Europe. Fauci had previously said that it would not happen. It happened anyway. Who knew that the president could do such a thing on his own? I'm not sure anyone did. I certainly didn't. But it was so shocking and there was no time and means to challenge it. Plus, people were afraid of the virus. Their primal survival instincts overriding all rationality and deleting the rule of law. The second turning point was March 16th at Trump's long press conference at which he announced the strong lockdown advisory. There he was surrounded by Deborah Burks and Anthony Fauci, the people who have since revealed themselves as Biden partisans. They were the team advising him with his son-in-law in the background. 
According to Washington Post reporters, Trump had spent the weekend with these very advisors. It was they, and Burks in particular, who convinced him to go full lockdown. This is why I wanted to read it. God bless Jeffrey Tucker. I did not know that. I didn't know that Burks had been kind of like the driving force behind that. I found it fascinating. She convinced him that lockdowns would arrest the virus and then he would be considered a hero who saved the country. Now that sounds believable, doesn't it? (laughs) That she would appeal to Trump's ego. It was supposed to be only for 15 days, just enough time to get the virus contained in some way. The public messaging was that this was to flatten the curve, but Trump had been led to believe that these measures would somehow help, quote, get rid of the virus. An absurd and unachievable goal, but Trump did not know that because he's dumb. Sorry, that was my addition. Uh, Burks's virus control method was no more complicated than her own words. Quote, we really want people to be separated, end quote. What's fascinating to me about this narrative is that it leaves out a very critical document. In fact, the book by the Washington Post leaves it out completely. On March 13th, a Friday following Trump's ban on travel from Europe, the Department of Health and Homeland, uh, Department of Health and Human Services released a confidential edict, one that had surely been weeks in the planning that later became public. It contained all the essential elements of lockdown. This is why I love Jeffrey Tucker. I had no idea about this, and I've been following this story nonstop. In other words, what Trump was considering doing had already been done. Whether he knew that or not, I do not know. I'm guessing that the answer is that he did not. The March 13th edict from HHS called for home isolation strategies and limiting public gatherings and cancellation of almost all sporting events, performance in public and private meetings that cannot be convened by phone. It called on states to consider school closures. It also said that healthcare facilities need to alter standards of care from contingency contingency to crisis standards to conserve resources. Everything must stop, said the document, except for skeleton crews related to critical public services and infrastructure. Does that ring a bell to anybody? That they had all of that on March 13th written out? The entire lockdown protocols, they had it ready to roll. I'm sorry, but that's not a coincidence. They're not, the government ain't that good that they're like, oh yeah, well, we got this brand new novel coronavirus and boom. We write it all up and have it ready to implement days before the lockdowns happen. Okay. To be sure, the HHS document had no force of law as such, and neither did it demand all of it, all of this immediately. It only called for this under certain conditions. The trouble is that these conditions were already in place. I would like to quote this paragraph directly because it is a doozy. Indeed, it's almost incomprehensible. But if you were to summarize, one might say that the document called for lockdowns when there is a community spread of the virus, which everyone knew at the time was inevitable since January and already happening in at least at least in the northeast of the U.S., document read as follows. The trigger for a transition from containment to community mitigation activities in multiple affected jurisdictions is recognition of greater than three generations of human-to-human SARS-CoV-2 transmission in each or detection of cases in the communities without epidemiological links in two or more uh, non-contiguous jurisdictions in the U.S. with evidence that public health systems in those jurisdictions are unable to meet the demands to achieve and maintain containment while simultaneously providing quality care. Again, this was released even as Trump continued to believe that he was in the driver's seat, deciding whether and to what extent he was going to go along with his advisor's demands that he shut down the best performing economic growth path in decades. He was being asked to betray all of his principles in the name of virus control. That weekend, he succumbed to their demands and prepared his Monday press conference. He was merely codifying what the deep state had already decided on his behalf. During the press conference, the stock market crashed 3,000 points, the largest point drop in history. Hearing the news of this devastation during the press conference, Fauci interrupted to assure people that this would be a short break in economic activity and certainly would not last until July. Oh, actually, it lasted until the following July. We might still be battling the virus, but then he said, 
or by then, he said, but the lockdowns themselves would be of short duration. It was designed to bring calm to the markets. <laughs> this press conference is what unleashed the political panic. States all over the country locked down with only South Dakota resisting the push to put an end to commercial freedom and human rights. It wouldn't open for months or in some cases more than a year later. Thank you, Jeffrey Tucker, for telling the fucking truth about what happened. So to me, this kind of confirms my thesis that Trump was kind of a ignorant participant in all this. Still, a, still duped, still dumb, shouldn't have done it, but... I don't think he was like the mastermind that some libertarians argue that, oh, he's just playing both sides. He's just a, he's an op. He's a, you know, Manchurian candidate, whatever. I don't think so, man. I really don't. I think that Burke or Burks and maybe, maybe even not Fauci. I don't know. Burke sounds like she was the one that was running it. Um, but yeah, this was, this was planned for a while and they were ready to roll. They were very similar Awfully reminiscent to how they had the Patriot Act written before 9-11. You ever think about this type of stuff? Yeah, I do. I definitely do. I forgot about this one quote, which is just incredible. It's translated from Russian, so I don't know if it's actually legitimate. It's also a substack, so I don't know if it's legitimate double time. But it's so funny, I had to I had to include it. So apparently, uh, by, or not, excuse me, Putin, uh, upon hearing about the sanctions, he said, and I quote, since they adopted sanctions against us, we're going to fuck them. Now they'll have to buy rubles on the Moscow exchange to buy gas from us. But that's just the beginning. Now we're going to fuck them all. End quote. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That's pretty based. If that's a true quote, that's pretty based. And that's pretty accurate. That's what he's trying to do. And we're falling right into it. I don't know why or how. I guess I have my own ideas, but God, it's just so crazy. This is a phenomenal Substack piece by the Naked Emperor. Go to nakedemperor.substack.com to check it out. Very lengthy piece. Again, I, this is what I do to myself. I like to read deep, but uh, this is about a study on how to manipulate populations. And this has to do with COVID. Going to end on a real happy note. The authors conclude that, quote, not only does emphasizing that vaccination is a pro social action increase uptake, but it also increases people's willingness to pressure others to do so both by direct persuasion and negative judgment of non-vaccinators. The latter social pressure effects may be enhanced by highlighting how embarrassing it would be to infect someone else after failing to vaccinate. Our findings are consistent with the idea that vaccination is often treated as a social contract in which people are expected to vaccinate and those who do not are sanctioned. In, additional, in addition to message emphasizing the pro-social element of vaccination, we observed that message that invoked reputational concerns were successful at altering judgment of those who would free ride on the contributions of others. This work could also help explain why social norm effects appear to overwhelm the incentive to free ride when vaccination rates are higher. That is, messages that increase intentions to vaccinate also increase the moralization of non-vaccinators, suggesting that they are fundamentally linked to one another. It remains important to convince the mass public of the safety and efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines to ensure that the threshold for herd immunity is reached. Which, by the way, they don't even talk about herd immunity anymore. It just doesn't exist. Our experiments provide robust evidence that appealing to protect others has effects on intention intentions to get vaccinated and to apply social pressure to others to do so as well, end quote. 
The writer continues, the wording throughout the study is almost identical to that used over the last few years. Safe and effective, get vaccinated, reduce the risk that members of your family could get sick and die. How guilty would you feel? How embarrassed and ashamed would you feel? How angry would you be? People who don't get vaccinated are brave, but reckless, or aren't brave, but reckless. There is nothing attractive and independent-minded about ignoring public health guidance. You risk the health of others. Trust the science. People who reject vaccination are ignorant or confused about the science. Not getting vaccinated means you are probably the sort of person who doesn't understand science. It reduces the chance of lockdowns. How many times did you hear someone parrot one or more of the lines above almost word for word? I certainly did. You may have na naively believed that the fear, pressure, and psychological toll of the pandemic caused your friends, family, or colleagues to act in an unrecognizable way, but it was all carefully planned. They conducted a study, and I'm sure this wasn't the only one, to see which pressure points would work best on different parts of the population, and then carefully released mountains of propaganda funded by you to turn your friends and family against you. This nudging was all done to get you to take a vaccine you decided you didn't want. The ethics statement in the study says the experiments conducted were fielded under an exemption granted in the university. It's not difficult to understand why. Whether mass vaccination was the only way out of this pandemic or not, behaviorally nudging citizens to guilt each other into taking a novel treatment was not the way a civilized society should have acted. They wanted you to get angry in order to get vaccinated, but they failed. But they wanted you to get angry, so get angry. Get angry that the population was psychologically manipulated to turn on one another. Get angry that your friends and family were nudged into parroting the phrases used in the study to make you feel guilty, stupid, or embarrassed. Get angry that you were socially ostracized and de-invited from events. Get angry that your colleagues made you lose your job. And if you were one of those who tried to convince someone to get vaccinated, get angry that you were so easily manipulated. Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> I don't even have much to add to that. That This guy, I got to get the naked emperor on the show. That is, that's been my speech for a long time, but I just wanted to recap real quick paired with the fact that they had studies on how to manipulate the masses and they had those plans ready to roll out immediately paired with the fact that they also had uh, Burks and the entire concept of lockdowns written out and ready to roll out before Trump was even presented with the idea. You still going to conclude that this was all organic. You think so? I don't think so. Just being honest. You think that they had studies of this nature with phrases of that nature that were utilized against you consistently for the past 24 months prior to the pandemic? And that's that's a coincidence? That they had protocols set up for lockdowns and shit like that? And then on top of that, the fact that we funded the research in Wuhan Institute of Virology and then we covered it up? How many, how many things are you willing to write off as a coincidence? Genuine question. How many things? Before you start to just say to yourself, Occam's razor is actually that this is all fucking planned. That they did this to us on purpose. I'm not going to say that's definitively the conclusion that everyone must come to. But if you aren't seriously considering at this point, that's crazy to me. That's more crazy to me than believing their narrative. If you don't consider, after everything I presented to you over the past two episodes, that perhaps this was done to us intentionally, man, I don't know what I don't know what else I got to show you. Honestly, this is pretty damning, isn't it? Pretty damning, and it's not okay. It's not okay. Tonight's show is brought to you once again by Tennessee Hot Sauce Company. Go to tnhotsauceco.com and sign up for the best 
small batch hot sauces in the world from a libertarian independent small batch creator go to tnhotsauceco.com use code liberty you get that special batch miami mango i think there's a, still a handful of people that uh that can get that in their shipment so that's pretty cool uh this is going to be the last ad read so don't delay go to tnhotsauceco.com and become a subscriber become a foundational member and help a small company get off the blocks before we get out of here i just want to thank you guys so much for supporting me in my work i know a lot of you have been sharing it tremendously the download numbers just continue to skyrocket it's blowing my mind and because of that i continue to have on bigger and bigger and more fascinating guests and i couldn't have done it without you if you want to support my work go to libertylockdown.locals.com become a supporting member over there and just so you know that you are making a difference in the world right now check this out judge andrew napolitano's people reached out to me this morning and they said clint the judge had such a great time on your show and he likes your work so much that we want him to come on every Thursday in perpetuity. <laughs> what? So we're going to have Judge Knapp dropping in on every Thursday episode forevermore. <laughs> or until one of us gives up or gets sick of the other one. Incredible, man. Just absolutely incredible. I'm telling you guys. Just quick story. I I used to watch Freedom Watch on Fox News religiously because it was the first time I got to hear anything even resembling libertarianism on mainstream TV on like nightly news. I remember he was on Fox Business, if I recall correctly, and he was just crushing it night after night. Obviously, they got sick of him after a while of telling the truth, and they were like, all right, we're just going to give him a weekend show. I think I remember that. And I would stay, and I would watch on the weekends because I just needed to get my judge nap in my life. And now to have kind of like a quasi-informal partnership with this guy, this guy I looked up to for so many years, is just spectacular. I I, I was telling uh, Reed Coverdale about this in the group chat, or actually the entire Tau Gang crew, and I was saying, guys, if I tried to explain this to myself from 12 years ago, I would think that this version of me had lost his mind. Like, I can't even believe it. I'm living the dream. Anyways, long story short, it's because of you guys. Thank you so much. Also, if you want to support the show, go to Top Lobster. That's L-O-B-S-T-A dot com. Pick up the latest Liberty Lockdown shirt. And I hope I will see some of you guys in Irving, Texas tomorrow, April 8th at 8 p.m. Eric July, Scott Horton, Dave Smith, myself, Texas Mises Caucus, it's going off. Check us out. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweet from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go. The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe. Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening. Scared Hollywood left these lyrical feppin' A typo with Luke might bring the nooses. We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses. Freckles and Brit, didn't know I could spit. Knew I was a patriot, but now nah, I'm the shit. 
Peter Quinones Invite me on Which podcaster sends custom songs Part of the problem Now I stand with the people Dave showed the way But I am unequal Lions of Liberty Now hear me roar Beat running up But I got a bit more Robbie the fire Always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich Now I'm man of the house No malice for Nick But you're welcome to quit I went over BLM With the fire I spit Friends against government Just call us fags Copy the Cairo Put mummies in the bag Liable opinions Get thrown on the ground Silky's Mouton Was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic a rip for 59 Miles to ratio that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war but we're ready You know I be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought you've always got a home The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go The government knows this don't get treated like a hoe